You're listening to an audio resource from Redemption Hill Church. This resource is not meant to be a replacement for participation at a local church, but an accessory to the care you're receiving from your own pastors. To learn more about Redemption Hill Church or to give to our ministry, visit redemptionhilldsm.org. The Twitterverse is freaking out because the Supreme Court didn't do something. You're listening to Cornfield Theology. Hey everyone, Pastor Sean here, pastor of Redemption Hill Church, located in the Des Moines metro. Thanks for tuning in to this edition of Cornfield Theology, and today I have a friend on, I've got a guest on, and uh, today we're going to be talking about why we are pro-life, and before I allow Kenny to introduce himself, uh, this is a very timely podcast, uh, In God's Providence, and we will believe very much in the providence of God. Yep. Uh, a big case was ruled upon, or I guess not taking up. Uh, in Texas, there was a law that was passed that was putting some restrictions on on abortion. It wasn't taken up by the Supreme Court by a five to four majority. And uh, the Twitterverse is on fire right now. <laughs> if you are pro-choice, you are ticked off. If you are pro-life, you are happy, uh, extremely happy. And um, we planned this podcast about a month ago, and this happened. So this is timely. And so with that said, just kind of laying the table there. For you, Kenny, can you do introduce yourself before we get into the topic of why we are pro-life? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, Kenny Ortiz, 39 years old. I live in Minneapolis, married to uh, Milena. We are now, uh, we are our 17th month of marriage. 17th month? 17th month. Oh man, congratulations. <laughs> yeah, we got married in the middle of COVID in May oh. of 2020. Yeah. And um, and we just had a baby, our, our first child. My wife gave birth to our our daughter uh, um, uh, in uh, June, and Great. so she's uh, she's like 12 weeks old now, and awesome. man, it's like my favorite thing in the world. Yeah. Um, originally born and raised in Philly, PA, and um, I lived in Florida for a while. I was in youth ministry for many years. I worked in real estate for many for several years, then went back to youth ministry, and then moved to Minnesota in 2017. Uh, I'm one of the professors at Bethany Global University, uh, teach a couple different classes there. Uh, primarily around theology and ethics. And so I teach oh, a class called Sanctity of Life, which is specifically around uh, these types of issues. Yeah. And also the Dean of Online Education. Um, I'm also a pastor at Cities Church, and uh, which is a joy. Pastoring God's people is uh, one of the greatest uh, privileges and honor. Yeah. It's a joy. And uh, love, I love my co-pastors. I love being a pastor. And so uh, that's me, man. Man, I appreciate your heart, dude. That's awesome. That's fantastic. And congratulations on being a father. Uh, fatherhood is, I have two daughters and I love being a dad. I yeah. love being a dad. And uh, it's one of those things where it's like from the time they're born to, you know, my oldest is 11. There's not like one best part for me. I love all of it. Mm. It's a great privilege. So you got, you got a lot to look forward to my friend. Uh, it's like my favorite thing. It's, you know, it's a Friday night. People are like, what are you doing? I'm hanging out with my girls, man. That's right. My wife and daughter. I, what else am I going to do? That's <laughs> so. right. That's right. And our, and our love for our kids extends back to this issue we're talking about today, which is why we're pro-life, right? Yep. So let me ask the, the question pointed to, pointedly to you, and then we'll get into some of the details. Why do you care about this issue so much? That's a great question, um, because I believe God cares about this issue. Yeah. And I, I want to care about the things God cares about. I mean, that's, I know that's a really simple way to put it, but that's, that's it. Um, I, I believe that human beings are being murdered. Um, I believe there's a genocide going on. And I know some people don't like that language. They think it's hyperbolic. They think it's unnecessarily offensive. Um, 
like that's i think that's the appropriate language and we'll get into this but like human beings are being killed unnecessarily unjustly um in large numbers not just in our country but around the globe right um i i just saw the stats um in 2020 the estimates that uh, abortion numbers went up for the first time in the last 30 years so mm. you know something like 1.1 million abortions in 2020 um which which is significantly up from the year from your pre- previous years it was around seven or eight hundred thousand right um, people are being murdered unjustly it's wrong it's um it's disgusting it's sin yep god's heart is broken by this god has righteous anger toward this and if i claim to love god and the things he loves i i have to feel the same way he does Amen. And I appreciate the way you, you stated that in the strongest terms, right? Um, there can be a tendency within evangelicalism and uh, we can like soften it a little bit. You know, it's like, a, a do we have to be so, we would be perceived as angry, but it's really a, a, a righteous, I mean, angrily, righteously at the murder of unborn babies, of human beings. So uh, I, I carry and I feel the same sentiment that you have regarding this issue. But before getting into uh, maybe some some of the details of what's what's going on and why, can we frame this in worldview? Like, yeah, there there are competing worldviews, which is why you have folks who are pro-choice or pro-abortion, depending on how, what kind of language you want to use. Uh, how are they thinking about this issue as opposed to in in distinction to a Christian worldview? Does that make sense? Yeah. The, the 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 Christian worldview, obviously, that's the one I hold to. It's the one I believe it's most complete and it, the only coherent worldview. I know people disagree with that. That's my perspective. Mm-hmm. Um, the Christian worldview teaches us that human beings are are fully persons from the time they are conceived. Um, the, the, the the Bible actually uh, impl- you know, uh, leads us to believe that the Christian worldview, generally speaking, is the idea that, that human beings are made by God in the image of God. Mm-hmm. And therefore, all human beings should be treated with respect and dignity. Right. Um, anyone who has a Christian worldview should believe that. Uh, yeah. Human beings, all human beings, all persons should be treated with love and respect and dignity. No matter what, no matter what, no matter how sinful they are, no matter how grotesque, grotesque their sin may be to us, every human being it should be treated with respect and dignity. Um, no, no matter who they are, and no matter how inconvenient they may seem no matter how difficult they may be to manage or navigate, no matter what it is, human right. beings are worthy of that. Right. That that's a Christian world. That's a Christian tenant. Right. I, I, I would argue. Let's, let's um, talk through a secular worldview on this. And I'll just use the word secular kind of as a junk drawer perspective. I know this can get nuanced really quickly, but when it comes to the, the debate on uh, abortion, it seems like kids are viewed very as a, as a utility, right? Mm-hmm. Instead of the word they're inconvenient, you know, uh, they caught kids cost money. Uh, I've heard the the argument that if I if I don't have an abortion, uh, if you're a woman, of course, um, then I can't get a job or I can't get a promotion. It's there's a, there's a utility perspective that's um, in place here, and, and that is that is the way just they view society in general. What's the utility out of this all? And when it comes to abortion, that means well, if they're not useful, then guess what? We can abort. Yeah. Why is that flawed? <clears throat> um. Because it, it basically it 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 uh, measures human beings and persons on how well they're able to perform. So if I have a child and this child turns out to be to bring me joy, that they're doing something for me. So mm-hmm. I'm now gauging their value based on what they do for me. Right. They they're not inherently valuable in that worldview. 
you're not measuring them for what value they bring to the table inherently, ontologically. You're, you're only simply saying they're valuable because they bring me some sense of joy or completion and vice versa. You're not valuable enough to be considered a full person because you caused me some inconvenience or you caused me some detriment. You, you handicap my life in one way or another. Therefore, I choose to view you as if you're not fully a person. Mm-hmm. Well, that's, that's absurd. I mean, it's, 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 a, it's such an odd, I mean, odd is the, the nicest term I can use for that way of gauging a person's value. Um, and, and generally, this, the secular world, you're right, as you mentioned, that term you know, can, can be nuanced, it can mean different things. But right, generally, if, you, if, you're not a, if you're not someone who, who, the, who the Bible is the highest authority, then how you develop ethics is very uh, arbitrary or can be very inconsistent. Like who says right and wrong? I had a conversation recently with someone who's not a Christian. He would call himself an agnostic. And we were talking about a child molestation. And I go, Hmm. well, I I know why I believe child molestation is wrong. Why do you believe it's wrong? Because well, everyone knows it's wrong. Why? What? Like, I don't know. Like, well, I can, I can point to cultures in the past where child molestation ran, run, ran rampant. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and they didn't think it was wrong. He goes, well, they just, they just, they just were desensitized to their conscience. Like, but no, no, like, no, no, you're, you're missing the point. It's not, ob- you're saying the reason it's wrong is because it's obvious. And right. I'm telling you, there are millions of people that don't see it as obvious. So your standard is whatever's obvious to you. Like yeah. your standard of right and wrong is based on what you think is obvious, but like, that's such an arbitrary, uh, you use the term before we recording squishy, you know, yeah. it's, yeah. A, it's a squishy, inconsistent the Christian worldview says, no, we believe in a transcendent standard that right. the God of the universe who loves us, who knows better than us, he is the one that prescribes right and wrong. And we're seeking to follow him in that, not follow our own subjective feelings. Yeah, that's a, that's a great way to put it. Um, the way I, I thought about it over the years is that we have an objective truth that we hold to. And as Christians who love the Bible, that objective truth is found in God's word, opposed to an indistinction to um, more about these days and more postmodern worldview where everything's relativized. Truth is relativized. Morality is relative. Ethics is is relative as well. And that becomes really problematic. Now, we both know that in this junk drawer word of secular, there are different, uh, there are other worldviews that fall under that. Right. Variations of that. Yeah, yeah exactly. But the thing that we uh, are distinct from in terms of all those other various views in secularism is that objective truth. Yep. And so if God is saying that this unborn baby is a person, then that needs to be treated with utmost respect. Mm-hmm. And so this gets to my next question, and you alluded to it earlier, but I want to um, really dial into it for a moment, is personhood. When does personhood begin? Because really, if you think about it, from a, I know Christians who would say personhood begins further down the line after a child is conceived because of development, right? Yeah. Um, how a child is developed over the course of time. When is, when is personhood, when does that begin? Now, I'm going to give you a verse. This is when I, I go back to when I think about personhood, and then I'll let you um, go from there. It's from Jeremiah, uh, verse, one, uh, cha- verse 1, excuse me, chapter 1, verses 4 and 5. Now, the word of the Lord came to me saying, before I formed you, I think I, before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. Mm-hmm. I think God is describing a, a level of personhood here to Jeremiah before yeah. I formed you, I knew you, and before you were born, I, I consecrated you. I appointed you to be a prophet to the nations. So it seems to me, personhood, I can even go further back when it comes to personhood, especially in light of us being reformed as well, right? Yeah. <laughs> but help us think through 
uh, personhood. By the way, I love I love the language of Jeremiah there. Yeah. Uh, we, we get similar language in Psalm 139. Yeah. Every time God speaks, when God is speaking of to the unborn, he speaks to them with intimacy. Mm. I know you. I understand you. I commune with you. I'm intimate with you. Um, God does not treat the unborn like they are nothing more than a clump of cells. Right. God treats these persons as persons. Um, you see respect and dignity being shown from God to unborn persons. Yeah. Um, so there's, within the world of ethics, there's two views of personhood, uh, the okay. endowment view and then the performance view. Um, and so the endowment view, simply put, is we believe that a person is a person endowed by God with the, the value of a person by the sheer fact that you're a part of the species that God made in his image. God made human beings in his image. If you're a human being, then you are a person um, from the very beginning, from the time that you are conceived. Um, the, the performance view of ethics is of personhood is you must do something or reach some point. You must perform in some way before we consider you a person. Mm. And there's a few different uh, stages that people do in our modern society. We have a couple of stages. One, one is heartbeat. So there are some people that say, well, you know, we consider someone dead when their heart stops. So we should consider someone alive when their heart begins. That's that makes logical sense. There's, there's a logical connection there. Yep. There's some, there's one major flaw to it, but it, it's, it's not a terrible argument. Right. What's the um, flaw? There are worse. What was that? What's the flaw to it? Oh, so the flaw to that one is that, um, the heart, you know, heartbeats typically the earliest we can detect heartbeat is about six weeks, right? It's usually a little later than that. Six weeks after conception, it's usually a little later than that, but it can be, it can be that early, which right? by the way, when you talk about that, we talked earlier about that Texas legislation, mm-hmm. uh, six weeks was the line of demarcation in that legislation. Right. right. Um, for many years up until very recently, heartbeats could be detected until like 17 to 19 weeks. Mm-hmm. Uh, Oxford University recently produced a, meta, a, a journal, a study in the last two years that basically like blew that out of the water and saying, no, the heartbeat is way, way earlier than we ever thought. The heartbeat is already beating mm. very in the very early stages of ethical conception. Now, it may be beating earlier than six weeks. We just can't detect it. That's that's the. Um, and so uh, but what when we what we can detect in an, in an embryo, in a in a in a in a, in a zygote after conception what we see happening is cells replicating very quickly. We see cells organizing themselves to all the cells that are going to become liver cells. They, they, they clump together and they get into position to become liver cells and brain cells. You see this incredible formation. There's actually a guy at our church who's an embryologist. And he's told me some of these, he's like, you watch this under a microscope and it's unreal. It's, he's like, it's, it's, it's way more uh, complex and orderly than ants that right. are carrying food. I mean, it's like, it's really remarkable to watch this happen under a microscope. He goes, things are replicating. Blood is flowing. Proteins are being produced. Enzymes are being produced. This is the antithesis of death. This mm-hmm. is the opposite of death. This is the, this is the most vibrant moment of human life when wow. the most growth is happening to consider this stage similar to when someone's heart stops is uh, is such a false equivalence. It's, it's, it's kind of shocking and it shows ignorance of the actual biological science of what's actually happening in those earliest weeks of, of after conception. Oh, that's great. So, so one was heartbeat, which is, which um, right. parenthetical statement, Christians are pro-science and you're making a case for it right now. Amen. <laughs> you know what it's I'm saying? Right. There's this, there's this, um, perception by those, um, who are politically on the left, let's just call it that for now, 
um, who would say Christians aren't pro-science and it's, it, it couldn't be the most ignorant statement. I mean, it's just like, come on, yeah. we're very much yeah. pro-science. And that's, that's why we believe what we believe in part um, mm-hmm. about being pro-life. So uh, personhood, you could uh, heartbeat. Um, heartbeat. You said there were two more. Yeah, there, uh, there is several other spots. So viability, that's yeah. the one that Roe v. Wade, 1973, is based on the, you know, the Supreme Court decision that allowed for abortion. Um, the viability, the argument is that if a child couldn't survive outside of the womb, then that child should not be considered a person. Mm. That's, that's the argument. So Roe v. Wade, in 1973, when Roe v. Wade gets passed, viability at that point was somewhere between 20 seven to 28 weeks after conception. And so if a baby was born at 25 weeks, the likelihood of that baby surviving was almost 0% in 1973. And so the argument was, well, you can't live outside of the womb. You're too, you're dependent on the mother. Therefore you don't count as a person. Okay. You're not a full person of that argument. Um, That was the argument there. Well, since then, because of medical science, because of nutrition, because of things that have changed, viability is much earlier now. Viability is um, it's somewhere between 20 and 24 weeks now. And there's some really good medical science shows that over the next 70 to 50 to 70 years, viability is going to get backed up even more so. Yeah. So, so you're, you're, you have a standard to determine if someone's a person that's actually pretty inconsistent. So if this person was born in 1972, they're not a person, but if they're born in 2002, they are a person. So like your personhood is based on what year you were born in. Yeah. You're more of a person if you're born in this year versus this year. Yeah. You know, that's that's totally that's completely incoherent yeah right um so that's the viability argument in addition to that if viability outside of the womb survivability without a mother's help if that's what determines personhood well you can make a really strong argument that anyone in a coma is not a person yeah right anyone who has dementia anyone who's an elderly age like you can you can use the exact same logic and science being used to push the viability argument to now start saying, wait a minute, someone who can't survive on their own, who's dependent on other humans, you're saying they're not a person. They don't count. And that argument so, is being made in this country. <laughs> it's absurd. It, it is absurd. It is being made, though. And part of it, they're taking the, their own logic from how they view you know, abortion and, ex, and extending it uh, to the elderly and basically saying, well, you're, you're, you're not functional. You're not useful. So what are you here for? Yep. So. Um, for for a moment, and we'll get to the next one here. Yeah. Let's, let's dial back to 1973, Roe versus Wade. I want to dismiss something that gets stated often by those who are pro-abortion, and they say that be, abortion is constitutional. Being pro-choice is constitutional. Now, you know, I'm not a bright guy. I'm not the brightest bulb on the porch. Um, I get that, but I've read the Constitution before, and nowhere in the Constitution do we read anything that abortion is constitutional. It's a highly problematic statement. Now, I understand that Supreme Court took up the issue and sided with the uh, pro-choice uh, and a pro-abortion perspective, and I get that, but that doesn't make it constitutional. I wanted to, to dismiss that kind of language because it's just not true. Right. Um, so the arguments that Roe v. Wade, that was made before Roe v. Wade are two, are, one's viability. This is not a person. Yeah. So it's, and then the other one was, they, they cite the 14th Amendment, saying the 14th Amendment implies a right to privacy which it does. It doesn't explicitly state that, but most constitutional scholars agree there's an implication that in order for the 14th Amendment to be utilized properly, we have to imply that human beings living in the United States are constitutionally guaranteed some level of privacy. Okay. Mm-hmm. I think many of us can agree with that. And I even like that. There's, I think there's yeah. value in that for sure. Yeah. Um, 
And so the argument some people say was, listen, if a woman's going to have an abortion, it's between her and her doctor. It's a private matter. You shouldn't even know about it, let alone be passing laws legislating it. Mm. And so the, this, the, the, the right to privacy trumps everything. And it's, it's not viable outside of the womb, so it doesn't count as a person. And that was how the arguments for Roe v. Wade was made. Um, interesting, I read the 14th Amendment, and I think it's the most pro-life amendment there is. Yeah. Um, because there's two clauses to it. One, it says you may not deprive any, any American citizen may not be deprived. It says, it says life, liberty, or the pursuit of property. It's interesting. Right. It uses different language than the, than the declaration does. Yeah. yeah. Life, uh, life, liberty, or the pursuit of property may, may not be deprived without due process of law. Meaning it's okay for the government to, or for a person to deprive someone of life, so long as they've gone through a, a legal process. Mm-hmm. I don't know that the unborn person has been put on trial. Right. And right, that's the second part of the 14th Amendment says, so the first one, it's there's no due process before you abort a child. You've not taken them through a legal process to right. determine that they deserve to die. So that's number one. And then number two, it says all persons within our jurisdiction. And it's specifically aimed at people who are citizens and non-citizens. So any persons within the jurisdiction of the United States of America um, must be given the full protection of the law. So if you are on American soil and you are a person, the full protection of the law and whatever jurisdiction you're in is required to be, uh, to be, to be given on your benefit. So if you're in Minnesota and it was originally designed for people who are not American citizens, predominantly they were freed slaves. So you have yeah. freed slaves, and you have states like Alabama saying, well, you're a freed slave, but you're not a citizen. And the 14th Amendment is saying, listen, it's whether you're a citizen part. or not is irrelevant. You're a person. Yeah. Therefore, Alabama, you better protect that person's life. Right. Well, the 14th Amendment says every person in our jurisdiction must be protected. States are required by the 14th Amendment to protect the life, liberty, and property of all persons. Well, the unborn person is a person. Yeah. So the state of Minnesota that I live in, the 14th Amendment demands that you protect the unborn in your jurisdiction. And by not doing so, you are violating the 14th Amendment. Which which gets to the question we've been already talking about. Personhood matters so much. Like where you right. land on that question um, really tells you where you're at in the issue. And so uh, as you kind of walked us through, so helpfully, thank you. Uh, you got to settle in your heart. What, what does God's word say about personhood? Right. So that, that gets us to the point of uh, conception, right? So talk us through, this, this is what we say, the biblical worldview, um, yeah. that uh, push, personhood begins at a conception. Make that argument. Yeah, so one, biblically speaking, God speaks of persons, uh, on the unborn as persons, right? You, we mm-hmm. you read from Jeremiah, yep. this is an unborn person. We read in one Psalm 139, God saw me in the, one English translation renders it, the in the caverns of my mother's womb. Mm-hmm. Um, one of the dynamic translations says it that way. Yeah. Uh, but like. That's good. <laughs> but you're like, I think we often quote it, you know, I am fearfully, wonderfully made. That's the common, you know, that, that phrase is often used in, in American evangelicalism, I'm sure. Yeah. Um, like that, that idea that you are, um, God speaks of the unborn as persons. Secondly, when we go to the law, the law of Moses explicitly states that anyone who kills a pregnant woman is, or, or anyone who harms a woman who's pregnant and kills the unborn is liable of murder. So when God gives the people of God the law, the Israelites, God is saying the murder of a child is like the murder of someone else. I'm sorry, the murder of the the unborn is like murdering a child that's outside of the womb. Which interestingly enough, interestingly enough, our uh, our laws also have that as well. If you if you murder a pregnant woman, 
um, it's you're murdering two people. Right. Which is terribly inconsistent in American society. Right. I mean, right. Totally. The law is inconsistent with, you know, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, and so now there are some places, this is another point of personhood, uh, like in the state of New York, where a person is an unborn person is considered a person. If the mother wants to have this child, this, mm. this is an, this was the most absurd one to me that people argue. Like if a mother is pregnant and wants to have that child and someone were to attack her and kill that child, that person would be considered murderer by New York state law and would be tried. And the reason the unborn baby is considered a person in that moment is because the mother wanted to have that child. Therefore, we count that unborn child as a child, as a human being, as a person. But if that mother does not want to have that child, she can go to a clinic and have someone kill it. And that person is, forgive me, God, I just said it, she. Uh, the, the, the mother should, the mother says, I don't want this child. The mother can go in and the mother can have her baby killed at her choice. And that's not considered murder. And it's considered appropriate because she didn't want the child. So what, what determines if a child is a child, what determines the child is a person is whether or not the mother wants it. Hmm. And it, I'm using that one intentionally that time, right? Yeah. It's considered an it when you don't want the baby. Right. It's, it's, it's mind blowing the inconsistency in the ethics here and, and in the, in the laws too. Right. It's, it's asinine, frankly. Yeah. Um, And then on the science side, there's two major scientific things about on the science side, people, people say, follow the science. (laughs) Um, It's, it's just funny. Science or to science. Yeah. (laughs) We're following the science. Um, The, the, and even most people who would consider themselves pro-abortion, pro-choice of a secular worldview, they would say, yes, yes, the unborn, the embryo, the fetus, the, the zygote, the blastocyst is a, uh, is a, is human life, but it's not a human person. Is, right. And that's the, that's the language they play with there. Um, and they go, what makes a person? Um, scientifically, the, the, when immediately after conception, you have your zygote develops in a blastocyst and an embryo and a fetus. Throughout every single stage, it has 46 chromosomes. Okay. The, the, the unborn child has 46 chromosomes all the way through the entire pregnancy, which only half of them is share with the mother. My daughter, Letty, has 46 chromosomes, 23 of them for me, 23 of them for my wife. She has 46 chromosomes. She has always had different set of chromosomes and a different genetic sequencing than my wife, Melina, who carried her. They're not the same. Biologically, they're two separate, distinct persons. The science is unanimous on that. And to say that this is... Um, that this child is not a, a separate person is is absurd. People say, oh, it's just a part of the mom. No, like my finger is a part of me, right? The, my finger is, un- but my finger has, shares the same chromosomes as my foot or my ear. Yeah. They have the same chromosomes because it's a part of me. So people say women should be able to do whatever they want with their body. Yeah, women could do whatever she wants with her body. If she wants to cut off her finger. I don't think that's wise, but you can have at it. <laughs> You're right. Because um, it's a part of you. But this child has a separate DNA sequencing has separate G- DNA code. It has separate chromosomes. It's distinct in every way, biologically, by every biological barometer, it's separate and distinct. To call it a part of you is, again, it's flat out ignoring the science. Yeah. Let me, let's think about this from a political perspective because there's an unfortunate reality that we um, are currently seeing is, a, is uh, being pro-life, pro-abortion is highly politicized, highly. And we're seeing it right now, like I said earlier, the Twitter sphere is going crazy. Um, everyone's taking up the pen and, you know, being a keyboard warrior. Um, 
how do we get to the point, at least let's begin within the church, where we don't view this as a political issue? That, In other words, we have principles from Scripture that tell us how to move forward and what to believe and how to move forward. And um, this is not one of those places where we are pragmatic. There's a place for pragmatism within everyday life, right? Yep. You and your wife have a discussion and, you know, you just realize, you know, we're going to, we're both going to move toward the middle here. Pragmatism is, is, is an okay thing from time to time. Not here though. Mm-hmm. Right? right. And uh, how do we move forward without politicizing this while as Christians standing upon the, the principles of what we believe about personhood? Uh, I, it's hard. Yeah, <laughs> that's why I'm asking you. I know, man. I, <laughs> See, well, you're on my podcast, man. man um, <laughs> I think as a pastor, I want to shepherd my people to try to avoid the influences of groupthink. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's Good kind word. of one of my groupthink is a strong, it's a powerful phenomenon. Um, groupthink, anyone not familiar, just the idea that you're a part of a group and therefore that group can pull you toward a particular belief, right? Or, or particular preferences and christians by the way are susceptible to this as well yep right like we can get into our own little silos and you can pick up your your soap thing you want to stand upon your soapbox and group think you know has formed your your opinion you haven't formed your opinion (laughs) the group think has formed your opinion yep so i think it's good to just acknowledge that we're all susceptible to group think 100 there's no doubt there are things that i think about my life right now go why do i have this opinion it's oh it's because like a lot of people around me have this opinion um you know, we, 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 you're, and so it's, it's, it's way more powerful than people realize Yeah, um, the group thing phenomenon. We ask it, ourselves how, how could slavery... social media, sorry, I should interrupt there. And mm-hmm. especially with social media it is only mm-hmm. pushed forward the group think hundred percent. Oh man. Social media. All right. It, it amplifies everything. Yeah. <laughs> so I want, I want to, I want to help my people see, okay, what's the standard. And one of the things I've helped as a professor at BGU, one of the things I try to do is uh, try to then take the logic that leads in one direction and try to apply it to other areas just to see um, if, if it still holds water. Right. So someone says to me, yeah, Kenny, abortion is wrong, but like, really like it still needs to be legal because like, we need to let women have the, by the way, I apologize. My, my computers, uh, I'm getting messages here. So I apologize for the beeping. Good. <laughs> so people, um, people say things like, Hey, um, you know, you're, you know, yeah, abortion's wrong, but like, you know, you should really, you should really let people make their own choices. And I go, well, I believe the unborn child is a person just like my 12 week old daughter. Mm-hmm. Would I ever say to someone, can you imagine my wife, Melena, going to someone and saying, listen, this is really inconvenient. We realize it's not good. We, we need to murder Letty. We need yeah. to really kill her. You, you would not say, listen, I would never do that. But you know what, Melena, you have the choice. You and Kenny, you got to do you, you got to do what's best for you. Mm. Like, no one would say that. No, no one. No. Every person would say, that's absurd. That's wrong. It's immoral. That's not a political issue. It's a moral issue. It's right. an ethical issue. You would come to the defense of my child. You would call CPS and say, listen, go get that child. Take the yeah. child away from Elaine and Kenny because they're thinking about murdering your kid. Right. Like, um, and so I go, I believe the unborn child and my, my, my child out of the womb are of equal value. Mm. They're, they're, one's not less than the other. So why would I treat one less? And I challenge students sometimes. The only reason you're okay with abortion and you're not okay with me killing my own child is because you don't actually believe that the unborn child is a fully, fully a person. That's right. the problem. And that's because society has, has conditioned you. And so I try to help people understand, like, how does the Bible talk about this? What does the biological science actually say? And with the logic we have, 
if we apply the same logic elsewhere, would it stand? And the answer is no, it doesn't. And so how would you respond in this situation is similar, maybe not exactly, it's not perfectly analogous, but similar, you should be responding in a similar fashion. Mm, that's good. And I would also add just the statement I made earlier, we stand upon principle and this is not an area to be pragmatic at all. That's right. And, and what we've been doing so far since we began this podcast is that in addition to talking to the, about the issue of why we're pro-life, we, we've been tracing um, some, some, uh, some theology, right? Some, in so, some categories. So we, we began with, there's an objective truth that, that does exist outside of ourselves. We have that within God's word and within God's word, there are certain principles that we hold to. You began at the podcast that every single individual is an image bearer of God. We see that God's word speaks clearly on personhood. And now from there, it's where we want to, how do we apply this, right? Mm -hmm. In light of these principles, how do we begin to move forward? Well, first of all, activism, we are active, not only just with speaking, but appropriately active in being pro-life. What ways can Christians be active in, um, in, in promoting and pushing our pro-life values uh, that we derive from scripture and objective truth? Yeah, that's a great question. Uh, I think awareness is a really helpful one. Like just bring, I think there's a lot of people that are just, they're just flat ignorant on yeah. things. They just go, well, it's a woman's choice. Um, when you help people realize, I don't know, like logically why this doesn't make sense, you help people understand the science of what's happening. Like, when you realize what's really taking place in the womb, you realize, oh my gosh, people go, oh, it's just a clump of cells. People say that things. N many people don't say because they're being, they're trying to be malicious. They just, they're just ignorant. They just don't know. And I think uh, as Christians being well aware of what's actually happening and being able to then have conversations um, and, and dialogue with people, I think is helpful. Yeah. Um, go ahead. No, conversation is really important. Right. We, we got to be able to dialogue. We are, we live in a culture where dialogue is lost. We speak past each other, not to each other. Yeah. And so oh. an awareness, let's talk, you know, even if someone disagrees with you, let's, 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 let's give that person the respect that you're going to listen to them mm -hmm. and Lord willing, maybe they listen to you as well. So dialogue is important. Um, as a part of that sub point to that is you got to be just, you know, I, I probably, I, I've got to be very careful that I don't come across too, um, I don't come too, too harsh to people Yeah, because when we're passionate, it can come across that way. <laughs> so we have to be extremely kind. We want to be very kind. We want to be, but there, there comes a time where it's appropriate to bang your fist on the table. And like, there, there are moments for that, but that should be the, the exception, not the rule. Yeah. Righteous anger. We talked about that earlier. Right. There's a place for that. Right. That righteous um, and, and if you're going to, and our side is because of the group thinking America is against that the flow is against, you know, the cultural tide is against our ideology, our theology, our framework of viewing the world. It's even more so we, we, our margin for error is less than the other, than the other perspectives. Um, you can, if, you know, any, anytime you, it sounds like you're restricting something, which is why they would, how others would want to paint our worldview. Mm -hmm. Um, we it's even more so we have to be the most kind the most caring the most compassionate you know above and above so i think that's when it comes to conversation that's kind of one thing we can do that i think can be helpful yeah. so when it comes to like, um, thinking, thinking more about activism is there a place right. for protesting planned parenthood we haven't mentioned planned parenthood yet um yeah and we there's a you know i thought about do we get into the history of planned parenthood i think i think focusing on the activism here is is yeah is important um is that appropriate yeah, you know, grab the grab the sign, grab some friends, and we're gonna go picket Planned Parenthood. Um, 
there are two forms of activism I think are helpful. I think one of them is the is the the protest. Depends on how you do it. I actually have no problem with people doing a pro. I've actually personally never done it. I do know some people that do. I, I um there's some ministries out there that are promoting it more. And there's mm-hmm. some statistics that recently have shown me like actually I think we should do this more. It's an effective um, tool. Yeah. Now there's a right way to do it and there's a wrong way to do it, right? Correct. And there's just like there's anything guys- else in life, by the way. There's gonna be a right way and a wrong way. Let's talk about that. Let's talk about the right ways and the wrong ways, just to be crystal clear. Mm-hmm. So uh, wrong would be, you know, I, I can't remember what year it was, but there was a, a bombing at an abortion clinic. That's absolutely, mm-hmm. you don't, it's not that individual's place to kill people <laughs> in the support of the killing of unborn babies. Yeah. That, I mean, the, that goes without saying, but that's there in our history. Right. The The stereotype is that people are protesting after they're yelling at the, you know, you murderers, you, and um, that does exist. There are video clips you can find online of people outside of abortion clinics um, yelling and cursing and being very hostile. Those aren't our people. Right. <laughs> um, but when you actually, when you actually, when you kind of get, uh, when you get into the world of people who bo- uh, protest at abortion clinics regularly, you find out that that type of person is the extreme minority. Mm. Um, so downtown Minneapolis, there's an abortion clinic. There's a couple churches that rotate overseeing it. They're outside. They have, um, they have signs outside that say things like, um, God loves you. We love you. Signs like we will adopt your baby signs. Like, please don't kill your child. Um, pictures of the, of, uh, you know, of, of, of babies, what they look like at, you know, 12 weeks after conception for, so that people can see the, the visual, like you're not killing a clump of cells. You're not just killing some dead skin. Like you're killing a, a, a little person. Mm-hmm. Um, um, once you get to about the eight week mark after conception, the, the baby is pretty much, everything is in place. It just now needs, needs to get bigger, right? Like for yeah. the next 32 weeks. And so if you see a picture and I remember the first ultrasound of my wife and she was pregnant seeing that, I mean, it, it was life-changing for me. Yeah. And, um, so I think there's a right way to protest outside of abortion clinics and uh, statistics are something like something like I think the, I think I saw a stat once like 67 percent of women who are considering have abortion won't won't do it if they're because because if they're so ashamed, they won't yeah. do it to someone out there. And at first I was bothered by that. I'm like, well, you're shaming them not into doing right, it. And then right. my friend is like, he's like, I don't know. He's like, man, like the, the life of the baby is on the line. And so yeah. if I can use a little bit of shame to get them not to do it, I'm OK with it. I'm like, right. I. I'm a little bothered by, it, but I understand. Yeah, like, right. <laughs> um, so, so again, there's being out there. I, I love the sign that says the, the picture of your babies, what it looks like, yeah. and then the "We will adopt your child." Like I Absolutely. love that. That's a great. And you're making a great point here of being of activism. If you're gonna, if you're able to adopt, right? I think that's a very appropriate way. Hey, go. You know, we will adopt your child, and that that is good Christian activism right there. Right. But and then another way we can be active and. Um, a couple of days ago, I visited Agape, which is a pregnancy center uh, located here in the Des Moines Metro. And uh, you can support local pregnancy centers yep. that are that are coming alongside moms to see that they bring their child to full term. Mm-hmm. Um, there are a lot of good ones out there. Um, just to your point earlier about seeing an ultrasound, um, I was getting a tour of this particular pregnancy center. And uh, I can't remember the statistic. It was seen crazy high, but every time uh, a mom would have an ultrasound and see their baby, the chances increased exponentially that they would bring their child to full term when they just mm-hmm. saw the picture to your point earlier about, about someone who's protesting with, you know, with, with a picture of an unborn baby when it's your own, it, it resonates even deeper. Mm-hmm. So get out and support your local pregnancy centers. I don't know if there's any in the yeah. twin cities. You guys, yeah. there's a great one here. 
um, New Life Pregnancy Center in the Twin Cities here. We, we, our church, anyone listening to this, if I know there's a lot of people at your church listening, anyone who's a pastor anywhere in the country, find a local pregnancy center and rally behind it. Yeah. Um, we, out of our church budget, we give a significant amount of money every year to New Life. Uh, we want to bring, we, we, we put it in, we highlight um, in our church emails. We do it a weekly email. We highlight like a, a partner that we love and we want our church to pray for. Yeah. So we want to be highlighting pregnancy centers as a part of that. Um, there's a, a local pregnancy center here in the area that was doing a walk for like a fundraiser. We promoted it at our church. Yeah. So they came to our church, sign up for the walkathon fundraise. We announced it Sunday morning, like what you announce on Sunday morning shouts to your people the importance of these things yeah. and um so we we made it a big deal that there was a walkathon for uh, a pregnancy center that we love their work we want to come alongside of them and so um yeah that thing i think that's part of it. volunteering at a pregnancy center uh, mm-hmm. giving money being a part of it there's those types of things um i think are helpful and then um i guess and then the other we, we already alluded to we already mentioned adoption is a big one yeah. um I, um, I, I've, I've said this to our Bethany global university students at the beginning of the semester. And I told my wife, we're going to do, we were going to say, I was going to say this. So last year I taught this class sanctity of life. And I said, my wife and I are genuinely, we are pro life. We believe in life. And if any of you young ladies are here in the room and you ever come in a situation where you find yourself pregnant for any reason, Malena mm. and I will adopt your baby. Please yeah. do not adore, abort your child. Um, I had a, a female student come to me like about eight weeks later crying. And I thought she was going to tell me she was pregnant and I was about to adopt the child. That's what I thought. Mm-hmm. And she just, I just wanted you to know, like I was, um, she goes, she goes, that, she goes, I, I'm not pregnant. She, I'm like, oh, come. and then she just, I just want you to know, like, um, just knowing that, like, I believe you, like if I ever, if I'm ever raped, my immediate thought would have been abort the child. But now I know my immediate thought is call Kenny and Melina Ortiz. Yeah. And, that's, um, that's awesome. Um, and, and, and I, I have not actually had to do that yet, but there's going to come a day where I got to put my money where my mouth is and I better yeah, adopt true. that child. Right. I might be having a conversation with my wife. <laughs> so I like, I like that because you want, you put in your money where your mouth is. You're not just talking a big game, but we're being that word. I keep using active. We're being active in what we believe and standing upon principles that come from God's word. You know, I, um, I go ahead. One quick side note to that um, uh, is, is that we, uh, I think sometimes we now, and I'm abortionist, uh, uh, the abortion on demand in America is is wrong. It's murder. It's disgusting. And no, uh, no uncertain terms. I want to make it very clear. Simultaneously, I think it's also important to remember that, that the majority of young women who are considering abortion, most of the time, are not like malicious murderers. That's not their goal. No. In, no. in most cases, they're 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 confused. They feel alone. They feel ashamed. They feel like they have no options but to kill their child. And many of them don't want to. There are some that are much more malicious. Right. But right. I think that's an important thing to remember. Um, yeah. And let's talk about that for a moment. Cause this, I was going to segue into what does it look like to care for those who, you know, bring their baby to full term. We don't want to come across as, um, as just, you know, caring for the baby and not the mother. Right. And in addition to that, I think it's really important for, for Christians in the church to care and support and show the mercy of God to those who had an abortion. Right. Yep. This, 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 because when you, you know, this, your pastor of church in the Twin Cities, you can say we're pro life and you have 300 people looking at you, but you realize there's a segment of, of women who've had an abortion. Mm-hmm. And so they may be working through the grief and the shame, you know, of their decision. Yep. And we have to come alongside them and care for them and love them and show them the mercy and grace of Christ. From a pastor, put your pastor hat on for me for a moment. Mm-hmm. Um, 
how do you how do you do that at City's Church, knowing that we, both of us, both of our churches, we're, we're staunchly pro-life, but also realize realizing with this principle that we hold deeply, there are people connected to it. That means that there are points of care that we need to move toward uh, in grace. So, Pastor Kennedy, mm. Ken, Kennedy, Kenny, <laughs> me. Uh, how do you how do you pastor uh, a woman in your congregation through that? Yeah. Um... For me, I, I always always check and make sure that my that when I, in my conversations that I'm I'm being very gentle in my tone of voice yeah. and body language, and because I just I'm an am an animated personality, yeah. I come across kind of wild and obnoxious at times. So that's I gotta I have to be check myself and make sure mm-hmm. uh, that both my body language and my voice tones, um, and I have to I just want to acknowledge the pain, yeah, um, yeah. and just acknowledge like I try to think of myself like. A woman who loves, I think about how much my wife loved our child when, before our child was born. And I think like a woman, a young woman, in most cases, young women who loves their child, but yet still feels that killing the child is the best option. Like that, that person must've been in a really, really bad situation to get to that point. And just kind of acknowledging that, like, I don't know what you faced that led you to make that choice. It's, it must've been really, really bad for you to choose to kill your child. Um, I can't, I can't imagine getting to that point or what was like, and I just want you to know, like my heart breaks for you, uh, that you were in that scenario. Um, I, what I never want to do and what some people, so I've heard some Christians, they say things like, well, I never want to say that, you know, I never want to call it murder. I never want to say, I want to, they want to talk softer because like, cause it hurts the woman too much. I'm like, well, I think it's disrespectful to the child that was, that was killed to minimize the sin that was committed against the child. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that's disrespectful and wrong. So I want to say to them, I want you to know um, you killed your child. What, what I believe is wrong and that the mercy of God is so great that it yes. even covers murder. Absolutely. And I think, I think that's the the biblical move. That's the pastoral move is like, we want to show uh, women who've had an abortion and men who've been complicit in that as well, yep. that God's mercy and his grace and his love is greater. Mm-hmm. And and when you do minimize any sin, for that matter, you minimize uh, the mercy, grace, and God that flows from the gospel. Mm-hmm. And so we want to call things what they are biblically. When sin is sin, you know, murder is sin. Uh, but also, we can talk about God's grace and mercy mm-hmm. and His boundless love. Mm-hmm. I mean, uh, there's some th- there are some cl- key personalities in Scripture that were murderers, um, right? That God's mercy. Uh, David, anyone? Right. David, you got Moses. Uh, you got Paul, right? You got yeah. Moses. And so I want to go to people and say, like, see what these people they, they did was wrong. It was wretched. It was sinful. We never minimize sin and its and its ugliness and its impact on people's lives. And simultaneously, we we are so thankful for the mercy, the mm-hmm. glorious grace of God that is available to us, no matter what our choice is. He he. His love and mercy abound um, in our favor toward us. And I just like, no, 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 it's not that you made a small choice. You made a massive, ugly choice. And even that disgusting choice is not enough to, uh, to undo God's love and mercy. Like, right. Amen. It, that's the beautiful nature of our God. Yeah. Uh, yes, absolutely. Um, so many amens in that. Uh, here's, here's one more area I want to tackle. Uh, and then we'll we'll try to land this plane here in a few minutes. So, you're you're supporting a, a pregnancy center, right? Mm-hmm. And a, a woman comes in. She's like, okay, 
I'm going to bring my child to full term. She gives birth. Another point of activism is, is coming alongside that mom and that child after she has given birth. It's, it's donating clothes and diapers and all the things and stuff like that. Uh, I mentioned Agape um, as one of the crisis pregnancy centers that, are, that is located here in the Des Moines Metro. And they have a massive resource center. It's, next, it's a building that stands awesome. um, separate from, from the clinic. And it's just, it's full. It's where they do classes. It's where they have all, a bunch of clothes and diapers and whatever the mom needs. They have it there. Finding places like that where yep. you can come alongside that mom is a tangible way to show the, the, the love of God to that mom. And there are, there are opportunities to minister to her, especially if it's, your, if it's a first child, right? Mm-hmm. Especially if it's first child, because I mean, she needs everything. Yeah. And, and, and being a new parent is hard. I mean, you're yep. figuring things out. And it takes the church to come alongside um, that mom and that child. And so yeah. we're not just active in seeing. Um, a mom wanting to bring a baby, you know, to full term, but would come alongside afterwards as well. You want to speak to that a little bit and just that whole dynamic? Yeah, I think it's, I think it's more, it's, it's the one area that's probably under, under talked about. It needs more talk, more effort. um, In my opinion, Uh, to my knowledge, almost every major city and even second, you know, smaller cities and smaller towns across the United States, almost all of them have pregnancy centers. Um, I remember when I lived in Orlando, Florida for several years, they were like two dozen that we were connected to. Mm. It was a crazy number of, and they just, I think there's a lack of awareness and a lot of them have those kind of resources. Um, one of the best things, one of the ways uh, that you can use it, you can do things to bring awareness to those. And so New Life Pregnancy Center, the Rosedale, there's a couple others in the mid-twin cities. They have similar, you know, they, they it's like you're going shopping yeah. and they give the women, um, you know, it's either free or very low cost yeah. where they can go and get um, clothes for their baby and, and diapers and, uh, the other two major areas is literacy and um, literacy training. And so people, anyone who wants to be involved, you can, you can volunteer. So you can go to a pregnancy center and find out, Hey, are you guys offering most of these, a lot of young women have dropped out of high school. Yeah. Hey, um, maybe some kids are completely illiterate. You know, that's been the case. I know several stories that way. And I know people in our church and Christians that I know that I was been connected to that volunteer and say, Hey, I'm going to show up every Wednesday from three to five and help tutor women in math that are trying to get their high school diploma. Mm-hmm. Um, these are women who, because we've convinced them that, that, that their unborn child counts as a person and they should not abort it. They've had that child and now they're trying to make ends meet and life is difficult. Well, if we're going to tell her to have that child and we should, then we should also volunteer on that Wednesday afternoon to help her get her high school diploma. Yeah. That's good. And, and those are the types of, um, so there's a lot of pregnant, there's more opportunities than people realize. And there's no reason not to be involved in those things. Yeah. And you're right. You said earlier, we need to be talking about that because I think one of the criticisms has been, yeah, you, that you want us to you know, bring a child to full term and then what, right? Like, no, there's more to it and we need to be involved and we need, it's more holistic than, you know, yeah. staying out upon a principle. There's, there's action we want to take. Um, yeah. One thing I wish I would have brought up earlier, I'm going to bring it now. It's going to feel a little out of place, but I can imagine somebody listening and um, wrestling with this question that gets brought up. And I think we need to tackle it because it, it would get brought up if someone were listening and say, you didn't talk about issues of rape. Hmm. Um, how do we think that through, you know, so uh, a woman is, is raped, which is horrific and evil. Yep. And um, she gets pregnant. And um, an argument has been made that because she did not want the child and she, and she was raped, she should have the right to an abortion. Uh, as you said, rape, horrific and disgusting. 
And my, my, my first thing is, Hey, who raped you? And let's figure out how to bring this guy to justice. Yeah. Same. Like that, if that's possible, right. I want to help if I can make sure we arrest this man and he's held accountable for his crime. Um, uh, the, the, the question, however, and I, I need to say, we need to say this with as much gentleness as possible. The question remains, does the fact that how this baby was born, does this make it or how this baby was brought to conception? Does that change the value? Does the circumstances change? And I would argue the answer is no. God speaks of, of the unborn, no matter how they come to fruition. Um, just because the baby is a product of sin doesn't make the baby less a person and therefore must be treated as a person. Um, I give you a couple examples. Uh, myself, I am the product of sin. My dad was married. He had an affair with a his, with his with a woman who was not his wife. My that woman got pregnant. She gave birth to me. I am the product of an affair. So I, I was the product of sin. Yeah. What my dad did, in my opinion, is disgusting and wrong and disrespectful. Right? He should not have cheated on his first wife. Um, does that make me less because I'm I was brought forth in sin? Does that make me less of a person? Am I now less viable and less deserving of life? Um, the answer I would I would like to argue is no. I believe I'm I was a full person. So, it's um, in the world of ethics we call it consequentialism. Like the, the consequences or the benefits of something determines what something's right or wrong, or you know how some how someone got pregnant determines whether or not that pregnancy is viable. No, once a woman is pregnant, no matter how she got pregnant, that unborn child is fully a person and mm-hmm. therefore must be treated like a person. How she got there, as horrific and as heartbreaking as it is, does not undo the personhood of that unborn child. Therefore, I cannot sanction the abortion of a child that came forth through rape. I want to offer as much ministry as I can to that woman. I want yeah. to, can, I, can I get her free counseling? Um, can we, hey, I will adopt your child. We'll figure it out. We'll help you. We'll do all that we can. And maybe in those scenarios, maybe like we up the ante somehow. I don't know. You know, it, every context is different. Every situation yeah, is different, yeah, obviously. Sure. Um, but may, maybe we were willing to offer that person additional things, additional resources. Um, uh, you know, we, we have a young girl at BGU, actually, she was raped and she mm. had the child. And one of the other BGU staff members adopted her child, which is yeah. awesome. You're just, yeah. so there's this, you know, we love it. We love that that baby's here. Um, and I, and so I would argue that, no, I, I as hard as it is, I, I, ca- I cannot sanction abortion in those cases. Um, uh, uh, you know, no matter what the scenario was. And the reason going back to personhood, it's because of what we believe about personhood and when, right. when personhood begins. Um, so I, I appreciate that answer a lot. I, that is one of the, probably the most difficult question or one of the most difficult questions in the debate, because as you said, it's rape is horrific. It's evil. It's wicked. We have lots of terms we could use yep. to describe a rape, but it's still a child. Mm-hmm. It's still a person. Yep. And so we need to treat that, um, that, that individual as a person. Yeah. Any other final thoughts on, on the topic of why we're pro-life Kennedy? Uh, Kennedy. Did, <laughs> we have a gal in our church named Kennedy. I'm sorry, man. Oh, uh, no worries. No D. Um, no D at the end. You know, I think, I think um, we're, it's so easy to be because of the group thing, because of the cultural tide, it's easy to be soft on this issue. And I just encourage Christians to not be like, no, yeah. uh, it's hard. And then simultaneously, we don't want to just be pro-birth. We want to be genuinely pro-life. Yes. We want to love life. And so 
human flourishing is important to us. And like, we want the mother to flourish if she's going to have this child. Yeah. And so we want to come alongside um, in, in, I wouldn't say in all cases, but in a lot of cases, um, th- like adoption is not like most women who come, who want to bring their baby to term don't want to give their child up for adoption. So in, in most cases, the, the thing we're going to need to do is wrap around that, her, wrap around her right. life and help her um, and help her know, like we love her and we, we care for her and we celebrate the choice you've made, even though you've, you sinned in your, you know, your sexual relationship to bring you to the point where you're pregnant, right? Young women in our church, a young woman chooses, she and her boyfriend are both are sinning together and, and, and she gets pregnant. Um, we, we want to say, Hey, you made a choice to sin premarital sex is wrong, but we want, we value your life and your child's life so much. We're going to do whatever it takes to rally around you and and help you flourish. And again, it's going to look so different in every church context and every situation in every city. Um, but whatever way you can find to make that a reality for those women in your life, um, I, I think the Lord will use that for, for his glory in their life. Amen. That's all. I, that's fantastic advice. And that is, the, it's an opportunity for the church to be the church. Yep. Uh, let's come around, around those who are broken and needy and uh, let's show them the love of Christ. And I've been so helped by this conversation uh, the, and in ways that I did not anticipate. So I just want to thank you uh, not only for coming on the podcast, but uh, as a teacher, you are, you are, I am the student here. So you, you've <laughs> taught me well uh, to think well and think critically on this issue of why we're pro-life. And so I, I praise God for you, man. I praise God for your ministry. And I'm thankful for not only what you've done in this podcast, but what you've been doing at City's Church and at BGU, taking care of our boy Brooks. Yeah. Shout out <laughs> to our boy. Yes, that's right. Um, and uh, again, uh, folks, if you have any questions or comments and you're listening, feel free to put them in the comment sections. If you're on YouTube, I always get this wrong. There's like a like button, a share button, some bell icon. <laughs> YouTube's got like 80 things going on. Uh, five stars on Apple Podcasts and you can find us on Spotify. No one uses Google Podcasts, we discovered, nor do they use uh, Amazon Prime. So if you happen to be listening on one of those, let me know. That's amazing. Good for you. But that's it for now, everyone. Uh, thanks for listening to Cornfield Theology. Being on the lookout for future podcasts. Got another podcast coming out next week on why we uh, are for church planning. So you'll be hearing about that soon. Love that. But until then, God bless and peace out. Bye-bye. You're listening to an audio resource from Redemption Hill Church. This resource is not meant to be a replacement for participation at a local church, but an accessory to the care you're receiving from your own pastors. To learn more about Redemption Hill Church or to give to our ministry, visit redemptionhilldsm.org.